the reluctant conformist. Part 2. A Volatile Voyage Through Retirement The Photographer Chapter 6, Episode 2 During World War II, there were several internment and prisoner-of-war camps on the island. Schwitters, together with a wide cross-section of European academics, intellectuals and artists, was detained in one of the 49 boarding houses requisitioned through compulsory eviction orders served on the sitting tenants. This barbed wire enclosed compound became the Hutchinson Square camp. With little to occupy their time, a cohort of talented and scholarly inmates established an in-house academy to share knowledge freely with the other internees. Many enjoyed a better education at the Hutchinson Square University than they would have gleaned elsewhere, even during peacetime. The camp's academic opportunities may have been unparalleled, but the bizarre mood which pervaded the boarding houses was eerily challenging. Internees lived within an aquatic azure gloom during the daylight hours and a pinkish-red bordello glimmer in the hours of darkness. All window panes were painted blue and all clear electric light bulbs were replaced with red globes. This wartime security measure was to prevent potential Nazi infiltrators signalling flickering lights-coded messages to any German submarine that may have been lurking expectantly in Douglas Bay. Wartime austerity made conventional art materials hard to come by, particularly for use by one of His Majesty's most loyal enemy aliens. The blue window panes were too tempting for artists to ignore, and soon pictures were etched into the painted glass. In no time, the linoleum was stripped away from the floors and used to make lino-cut masters, leaving behind plain wooden boards. Amongst the diverse group of internees was the talented concert pianist Marjan Rawitz, who later became half of the world-famous piano duo Rawitz and Landor. Marjan, whilst endeavouring to coax Steinaway-like volume and tonal brilliance from the battered upright boarding-house honky-tonk pianos, was reputed to have left many pianos collapsed or destroyed, martyred to his formidable muscular melodic mode. The internees attended concerts given by talented musicians, some of whom would later go on to form the world-renowned Amadeus Quartet. Internment may have afforded only a meagre existence, but scholastically it was hard to beat. Within that eminent group, the celebrated Kurt Schwitters was appointed head of the cultural department. During his career, Schwitters worked in a wide range of art forms and materials. He felt no compunction to have his work sanctified by fashion or the limited tenets of modernism. He believed abstraction to be a perfectly valid form of expression, but only one amongst many. Landscape and portraiture were equally important, providing formal rigour and discipline to his work. Schwitters was never one to genuflect at the altar of any artistic ism, or to be subverted by the dictates of a faddish clique's manifesto. With limited materials available, he improvised, concentrating on collage works, made of found and discarded materials, tickets, newsprint, bottle tops, and all manner of litter. From this refuse, he produced a series of extraordinary works which later became highly regarded and much sought after by collectors and galleries. Schwitters wasted no time during the sixteen months he spent on the island, 
and produced between 200 and 250 works, including landscapes and commissioned portraits. Portraits were painted at a price of three to five pounds, depending on the compositional requirements. In 2014, a large early 1920s collage work by Schwitters sold at Christie's auctions for $24 million. What an unexpected honour and delight it was to have the unique and mystifying works of Willie Lease displayed alongside those of so distinguished and creative a free spirit as Kurt Schwitters, a one-time leader of Europe's avant-garde artistic factions. The range and variety of Willie's artworks encapsulated the quirky imagination and creative flair of an unlikely artist, a quiet and reflective Max Farmer. To the casual observer, these incongruous curios may have appeared merely intriguing or amusing distractions. On closer inspection, a rich array of complexity became apparent, a mystifying introspection which exemplified the intriguing and wry humour with which this agricultural abstractionist imbued his handiwork. Although Willie fashioned these artworks for his own amusement, from sculptural pieces he found along the roadside, there could be little doubt he wanted others to speculate on his creative endeavours. Magnus was fortunate to recognise these unique artistic curios for what they were, and photograph as many as he could before they were destroyed by the ravages of time or agricultural necessity. The random events that propelled Willie Lease's innovations from dusty obscurity to the exalted heights of a joint showing at so extraordinary an exhibition also paid dividends for the photographer. Magnus was invited to submit selected artworks for the Sale Gallery's 2013 Christmas exhibition. His contribution comprised three coastal landscapes in oils and, in keeping with the Schwitter's lease tradition, two collage made of found materials. Nasty Mouth the Tattooed Redskin and Tufty Geek, a person of wiry puzzlement. Much to his surprise, the collages created a good deal of furrowed brown hilarity, particularly amongst the young. This heartening reaction stirred Magnus on to create two additional collage, Commander Benedict Forksbeard, the startled speed reader, and Signor Longnose Pegchin, the sentimental Viking poet. Both Forksbeard and Pegchin have an origin that is utterly random and accidental, a slow and haphazard evolution dependent upon when the bits were found and how the fragments were arranged. There was, however, nothing accidental about their names. These were instant and obvious, thanks to lucky beachcomber finds. A length of hairy rope, a long strip of sea-bleached blue plastic, and a bald half-tennis ball gave rise to both their conceptions and titles. Of course, embedded meaning and ascribed personality, the supplement to their names, had to wait until the works were fully formed and identifiable. Both creations were christened on the sands of Port Swath, a seaside inlet on Guernsey, one of the Channel Islands, where these fragments were found. At the time, Magnus was on holiday with his elder daughter, Willow Victoria, and her family, who for six years abandoned Australia to take up residence on the island. Magnus believed the new collage to be more eye-catching and intriguing than the earlier Nasty Mouth and Tufty Geek, so he took the plunge and entered the more recent works into the 2014 Summer Exhibition in London's Royal Academy of Arts. This action wasn't the result of a sudden blooming of self-confidence or hubris, but simply by adopting the go-getting philosophy he'd taken to heart in Australia, 
Have a go, you mug. So, Commander Benedict Forksbeard and Senior Longnose Pegchin were entered for the 2014 summer exhibition. Of the 14,000 or so entries, only about 1,200 are hung for public viewing. That's less than a 1 in 10 chance of making the final cut. Long odds for a self-taught 70-year-old amateur artist in competition with hungry professionals, many of whom were distinguished members of the international art fraternity. It was pure Schwitter's rub-off and a wish to challenge fortune that buoyed him to vie for hanging space alongside such an august clique of insiders. The Royal Academy of Arts is one of the few organisations in the world that is run by artists, so the selection panel comprises artists sitting in judgment on artists. Entries are initially pared down to about 2,000 works by scrutinising digital images. The final selection to be hung is made by reviewing the actual artworks. Recent research at Harvard University concluded that truly creative individuals, by virtue of their very nature, tend to ignore rules more readily than staid unimaginative types. The study implied that those with an inspired artistic bent, who abandon tradition in striving for originality, may cultivate rebellious traits and so disregard social norms and challenge convention, as did Pablo Picasso and the anti-retinal joker Marcel Duchamp. Arty types may err on the side of anarchy and may have few qualms in flouting the law, to follow in the footsteps of Tom Keating, perhaps the most prolific art forger of the 20th century. If this is the case, could it be that the summer exhibition at the Royal Academy is little more than a colourful meeting place where the creatively dishonest display their copies and fakes whilst thumbing their collective noses at the rest of the populace? Probably not, for there are at least two works, Commander Benedict Forksbeard and Senior Longnose Pegchin, that were in every way original and in which each item of their assemblage was rummaged for or found, not pilfered. They were inspired works by an original thinker, as no doubt are most of the other exhibits, and not the work of robbers, cheats, liars and fraudsters. It was never clear whether it was the down-in-the-mouth gloominess of Senior Longnose Pegchin or the flabbergasted bewilderment of Commander Benedict Forksbeard that stirred the Royal Academy selection panel's callousness, for both collages were to be hung, not at the Royal Academy, next to Grayson Perry's embroidered tapestries, or Eunice Stubbs' watercolours of Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock Holmes, and Martin Freeman, Dr. Watson, but hung by their neck. Both works were given the finger, at the first digital hurdle. The £25 entry fee, however, was firmly grasped. The Royal Academy receives about £350,000 in fees from entries. With so many hopefuls, only a brief time may be allocated to accept or reject each entry. Assume 10 seconds to review each digital image, giving a pay rate of £9,000 an hour. Good business if you can get it. It's worth noting, however, that the entry fees don't go supporting the judges' high life, but provide scholarship funding for budding artists. All was not lost. As with the Archibald Portrait Competition in Australia, which, like the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition, is open to all comers, entries which just miss out on being hung may be made available for public viewing. Benedict and Longnose were given an airing in the Parish of Onken Library on the Isle of Man.
The local librarian staged an exhibition of ten of Magnus's paintings and collages, and as hoped, the local children were fascinated by the collages as they could identify toothpaste cap eyes, fast food fork teeth, and clothes peg beards. Like Willie Lease, Magnus also enjoyed having his artworks on public display. Even the island's Westminster representative, the lieutenant governor, and his wife dropped in for a viewing. Understandably, Magnus's future was not radically changed by the artworks exhibition at the local library. The most unexpected and enduring impact upon his future life resulted from the arbitrary act of inviting his sister, Susan Maureen, to view the Swedish exhibition at the Sale Gallery. Who would have thought that so innocent an act would result in the unearthing of a missing masterpiece created by the 20th century's hardest-working and greatest artistic genius? But more of this later.